Okay, everyone, open to receive. With deep breath, we're going in for story time, which, like I said, was pretty popular. Everyone loves a good story. Now, here's the other thing that changes this go-round. Is like I said, last time we used a different story for every month. These two guiding stories that were chosen for this go-round are coming out of Women Who Run With The Wolves. Now, most of you know I love Kathy Pagano's book, Wisdom's Daughters, How Women Can Change the World. And that's what we used for some of our stories. And they were wonderful. But I'm praying that she's going to do a class with that book. So I thought I would put it aside for a minute in case we can crack it open a different way and have her with us, which would be really fun. Stay tuned. I might talk her into it. <laughs> Meantime, Clarissa Pinkola Estes wrote Women Who Run With The Wolves, and it has been my Bible since 1990, which was the year my mother died. So it was what saved me during just basically the worst time in my life. And I have an original printing. I have one of the first printings. I'm so excited and hardback and everything. It's in pieces because I wore that sucker out. But I love this. And this story was so perfect for releasing negative Capricorn because now keep in mind, again, with that Pluto and Capricorn digging it up, it's all the toxicity of our corporations, the dysfunction of our healthcare and educational systems. It's all the big systems that serve great numbers of people between the pharmaceuticals and the food. They've got us all out our natural rhythms and out our natural mind, and it's not cool. So because of the Break to Realign 2020 afforded us, I'm going deep with this one to reset ourselves for ourselves so that we can navigate with more independence and sovereignty. That's going to be so important during this changeover, because right now we're witnessing the crumble, but it's still going to take time to rebuild. Meantime, we only got so many years on the planet, so we need to do what we can do for our own energy and karma and DNA in the last seven generations and the next seven generations. I really believe whatever healing and wholeness work you can do unlocks things backwards and forwards for your DNA ancestors, your affinity ancestors, which are just who you really resonate with on a deep level, or the long line all the way back to Africa, okay? So deep breath, open to that which is just for you. We're going to honor story time. And then after that, we'll do an eight minute drum journey. Relax, relax, relax. Chapter eight, self-preservation, identifying leg traps, cages, and poison bait. Deep breath. That would be corporate, corporate, corporate. <laughs> it's a trap, it's a cage, and it's a poison bait. Trust. We start with the feral woman. In the Oxford English Dictionary, the word feral derives from Latin fur, meaning wild beast. In common usage, a feral creature is one who was once wild, then domesticated, and who has reverted back to a natural or untamed state once again. I postulate the feral woman as one who was once in a natural psychic state, that is, in her rightful wild mind, then later captured by whatever turn of events, thereby becoming overly domesticated and deadened in proper instincts. Deep breath. We've been disconnected through food and pharmaceuticals. When she has opportunity to return to her original wildish nature, she too easily steps into all manner of traps and poisons. Because her cycles and protective systems have been tampered with, she is at risk in what used to be her natural wild state. 
no longer wary and alert, she easily becomes prey. There is a specific pattern to the loss of instinct. It is essential to study this pattern, to actually memorize it, so that we can guard the treasures of our basic natures and those of our daughters as well. Deep breath. In the psychic woods, there are many leg traps made of rusted iron that lie just below the leafy green of the forest floor. Psychologically, the same is true for the greater world. There are various lures to which we are susceptible. Relationships, people, and ventures that are tempting, but inside that good-looking bait is something sharpened to a point, something that kills our spirit as soon as we bite into it. Feral women of all ages, and especially the young, have a tremendous drive to compensate for long famines and exiles. They are endangered by excessive and mindless striving toward people and goals that are not nurturing, substantial, or enduring. No matter where they live or in what time, there are cages waiting, always. Two small lives into which women can be lured or pushed. If you have ever been captured, if you have ever endured hombre de lama, a starvation of the soul, if you have ever been trapped, and especially if you have a drive to create, it is likely that you have been or are a feral woman. The feral woman is usually extremely hungry for something soulful and often will take any poison disguised on a pointy stick, believing it to be the thing for which her soul hungers. Though some feral women veer away from traps at the last moment with only minor losses of fur, far more stumble into them unwittingly, knocked, temporarily senseless, while others are broken by them. And still others manage to disentangle themselves and drag themselves off to a cave to nurse their injuries alone. Deep breath. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. In order to avoid these snares and enticements that are tripped by a woman's time spent in capture and famine, we must be able to see them in advance and sidestep them. We have to redevelop insight and caution. We have to learn to veer. To be able to see the right turns, we have to be able to see the wrong ones. Deep breath. There is what I believe to be the remnants of an old woman's teaching tale that explains the plight of the starved and feral woman. It's variously known by the devil's dancing shoes, the red hot shoes. Here we're going to call it the red shoes. The following is a Magyar Germanic version of the red shoes that my aunt Teresa used to tell us when we were children. This is Clarissa, one that I use here with her blessing. In her artful way, she always began the tale by saying, look at your shoes and be thankful they are plain. For one has to live very carefully if one's shoes are too red. Deep breath. The red shoes. Once there was a poor motherless child who had no shoes. But the child saved cloth scraps wherever she found them and over time sewed herself a pair of red shoes. They were crude, but she loved them. They made her feel rich, even though her days were spent gathering food in the thorny woods until far past dark. But one day, as she trudged down the road in her rags and her red shoes, a gilded carriage pulled up beside her. Inside was an old woman who told her she was going to take her home and treat her as her own little daughter. So to the wealthy old woman's house they went, where the child's hair was cleaned and combed. She was given pure white undergarments and a fine wool dress with white stockings and shiny black shoes. When the child asked after her old clothes, and especially her red shoes, 
The old woman said the clothes were so filthy and the shoes so ridiculous that she had them thrown into the fire where they were burnt to ashes. The child was very sad, for even with all the riches surrounding her, the humble red shoes made by her own hands had given her the greatest happiness. Now she was made to sit still all the time, to walk without skipping, and to not speak unless spoken to. But a secret fire began to burn in her heart, and she continued to yearn for her old red shoes more than anything. As the child was old enough to be confirmed on the day of the innocence, the old woman took her to an old crippled shoemaker to have a special pair of shoes made for the occasion. In the shoemaker's case, there stood a pair of red shoes made of the finest leather that were finer than fine. They practically glowed. So even though the red shoes were scandalous for church, the child, who chose only with her hungry heart, picked the red shoes. The old lady's eyesight was so poor she could not see the color of the shoes and so paid for them. The old shoemaker winked at the child and wrapped them up. The next day, the church members were agog over the shoes on the child's feet. The red shoes shone like burnished apples, like hearts, like red washed plums. Everyone stared, even the icons on the wall. Even the statues stared disapprovingly at her shoes, but she loved the shoes all the more. So when the pontiff intoned, the choir hummed, the organ pumped, the child thought nothing more beautiful than her red shoes. By the end of the day, the old woman had been informed about the ward's red shoes. Never, never wear those red shoes again, the woman threatened. But the next Sunday, the child couldn't help but choose the red shoes over the black ones, and she and the old woman walked to church as usual. At the door of the church was an old soldier with his arm in a sling. He wore a little jacket and had a red beard. He bowed and asked permission to brush the dust from the child's shoes. The child put out her foot and he tapped the soles of her shoes with a little song that made the soles of her feet itch. Remember to stay for the dance, he smiled and winked at her. Again, everyone looked at the girl's red shoes, but she so loved the shoes that were bright like crimson, bright like raspberries, bright like pomegranates, that she could hardly think of anything else, hardly hear the service at all. So busy was she turning her feet this way and that, admiring her red shoes, that she forgot to sing. As she and the old woman left the church, the injured soldier called out, What beautiful dancing shoes! His words made the girl take a few little twirls right there and then. But once her feet had begun to move, they would not stop. And she danced through the flower beds and around the corner of the church until it seemed as though she had lost complete control of herself. She danced different dances all the way down the street, then waltzed by herself through the fields across the way. The old woman's coachman jumped up from his bench and ran after the girl, picked her up and carried her back to the carriage. But the girl's feet in the red shoes were still dancing in the air as though they were still on the ground. The old woman and the coachman tugged and pulled, trying to pry the red shoes off. It was such a sight, all hats askew and kicking legs, but at last the child's feet were calm. Back home, the old woman slammed the red shoes down on a high shelf and warned the girl never to touch them again. But the girl could not help looking up at them and longing for them. To her, they were still the most beautiful things on the face of the earth. Not long after, as fate would have it, the old woman became bedridden. And as soon as her doctors left, the girl crept into the room where the shoes were kept. She glanced up at them so high on the shelf. Her glance became a gaze and her gaze became a powerful desire. So much so that the girl took the shoes from the shelf and fastened them on, 
feeling that it would do no harm. But as soon as they touched her heels and toes, she was overcome by the urge to dance. And so out the door she danced and down the steps. Many, many dances led to the big daring waltz turns in rapid succession. The girl was in her glory and did not realize she was in trouble until she wanted to dance left and the shoes insisted on dancing to the right. When she wanted to dance round, the shoes insisted on dancing straight ahead. And as the shoes danced the girl rather than the other way around, they danced her right down the road, through the muddy fields and out into the dark, gloomy forest. There against a tree was the old soldier with a red beard, his arm in a sling and dressed in his little jacket. Oh my, he said, what beautiful dancing shoes. Terrified, she tried to pull the shoes off, but as much as she tugged, the shoes stayed on. She hopped on one foot and then the other trying to take off the shoes, but her one foot on the ground kept dancing even so, and her other foot in her hand did the, its part of the dance also. And so dance and dance and dance she did, over the highest hills and through the valleys, in the rain and in the snow and in the sunlight, she danced. She danced in the darkest night and through sunrise, and she was still dancing in twilight as well, but it was not good dancing. It was terrible dancing, and there was no rest for her. She danced into a churchyard, and there a spirit of dread would not allow her to enter. The spirit pronounced these words over her. You shall dance in your red shoes until you become like a wraith, like a ghost, till your skin hangs from your bones, till there is nothing left of you but entrails dancing. You shall dance door to door through the villages, and you shall strike each door three times, and when people peer out, they will see you and fear your fate for themselves. Dance, red shoes, you shall dance. The girl begged for mercy, but before she could plead further, her red shoes carried her away. Over the briars she danced, through the streams, over the hedgerows, and on and on, dancing, still dancing, till she came to her old home. There were mourners. The old woman who had taken her in had died. Yet even so, she danced on by, and dance she did, as dance she must. In abject exhaustion and horror, she danced into a forest where lived the town's executioner. The axe on his wall began to tremble as soon as it sensed her coming near. Please, she begged the executioner as she danced by his door. Please cut off my shoes to free me from this horrid fate. The executioner cut through the straps of the red shoes with his axe, but still the shoes stayed on her feet. And so she cried to him that her life was worth nothing and that he could cut off her feet. So he cut off her feet. And the red shoes with the feet still in them danced through the forest over the hill and out of sight. And now the girl was a poor cripple and had to find her own way in the world as a servant to others. And she never, ever again wished for red shoes. Deep breath. Brutal loss in fairy tales. It is more than reasonable to ask why there are such brutal episodes in fairy tales. It is a phenomenon found worldwide in mythos and folklore. The gruesome conclusion to this tale is typical of fairy tale endings, wherein the spiritual protagonist is unable to complete an attempted transformation. Psychologically, the brutal episode communicates an imperative psychic truth. This truth is so urgent and yet so easily disregarded by saying, oh, I do understand, but then go traipsing off to one's doom anyway, that we are unlikely to heed the alarm if it is stated in lesser terms. Deep breath. In the modern technological world, the brutal episodes of fairy tales have been replaced by images in television commercials, 
such as those showing a family snapshot with one member blotted out in a trail of blood over the photograph, to show what happens when a person drives drunk, or attempting to dissuade people from using illegal drugs by showing an egg bubbling in a frying pan and pointing out that this is what happens to the brain on drugs. The brutal motif is an ancient way of causing the emotive self to pay attention to the very serious message. The psychological truth in the red shoes is that a woman's meaningful life can be pride, threatened, robbed, or seduced away from her unless she holds on to or retrieves her basic joy and wild worth. We need to retrieve our basic joy and wild worth. Not corporate worth, not job worth, not family worth, but our wild worth, natural, innate. The tale calls our attention to traps and poisons we too easily take on to ourselves when we are caught in a famine of wild soul. Without a firm participation with the wild nature, a woman starves and falls into obsession of quote-unquote, feel-betters, leave-me-alones, or love-me-please. Feel-betters, leave-me-alones, or love-me-please. This is what happens when we fall into obsession. When she is starved, a woman will take any substitutes offered, including those that, like dead placebos, do absolutely nothing for her, as well as destructive and life-threatening ones that hideously waste her time and talents or expose her life to physical danger. It is a famine of the soul that makes a woman choose things that will cause her to dance madly out of control, then too, too near the executioner's door. So in order to understand this tale further, we have to see how a woman can so drastically lose her way by losing her instinctual and wild life. The way to hold on to what we have, the way to find our way back to the wild feminine, is to see what mistakes a woman so trapped can make. Then we can backtrack and repair. Then we can have reunion. Deep breath. As we shall see, the loss of the handmade red shoes represents the loss of a woman's self-designed life and passionate vitality and the taking on of a too tame life. This eventually leads to loss of accurate perception, which leads to excess, which leads to the loss of the feet, the platform on which we stand, our base, a deep part of our instinctual nature that supports our freedom. Deep breath. Let's be nice to our feet, y'all. The red shoes shows us how a deterioration begins and what state we come to if we make no intervention on our own wildish behalf. Let there be no mistake. When a woman makes efforts to intervene and fight her demon, whatever that demon may be, it is one of the most worthy battles known both archetypally and in consensual reality. Even though she might, as in the tale, hit ground zero minus five, the bottom, via famine, capture, injured instinct, destructive choices, and all the rest, remember, at bottom is where the living roots of psyche are. It is there that a woman's wild underpinnings are. At bottom is the best soil to sow and grow something new again. In that sense, hitting bottom, while extremely painful, is also sowing new ground. Deep breath. Though we would never wish the poisonous red shoes and the subsequent decrease of life onto ourselves or others, there is in its fiery and destructive center a something that fuses fierceness to wisdom in the woman. A something that fuses fierceness to wisdom 
in the woman who has danced the cursed dance, who has lost herself and her creative life, who has driven herself to hell in a cheap or even an expensive handbasket, and yet who has somehow held on to a word, a thought, an idea, until she could escape her demon through a crack in time and live to tell about it. Deep breath. We want to fuse fierceness to wisdom again. This is a woman's natural state and what scares the hell out of patriarchy. So the woman who has danced out of control, who has lost her footing and lost her feet and understands that bereft state at the end of the fairy tale, has a special and valuable wisdom. She is like a cigarro, a fine and beautiful cactus that lives in the desert. They can be shot full of holes, carved up, knocked over, stepped on, and still they live. Still they store life-giving water. Still they grow wild and repair themselves over time. Deep breath. We are regenerative creatures. Takes us a little longer than a gecko to grow a tail back, but we can do it. We can do it too. Though fairy tales end after 10 pages, our lives do not. We are multi-volume sets. In our lives, even though one episode amounts to a crash and burn, there is always another episode awaiting us and then another. There are always more opportunities to get it right, to fashion our lives in the ways we deserve to have them. Don't waste your time hating failure. Failure is a greater teacher than success. So listen, learn, and go on. That is what we are doing with this tale. We are listening to its ancient message. We are learning about the deterioration of patterns so we can go on with the strength of one who can sense the traps and cages and baits before we are upon them or caught in them. Let us begin to unravel this very important tale by understanding what happens when the vital life that we value most, no matter what it might look like to others, the life we love the most, is devalued and turned to ashes like her red shoes. So deep breath. We are releasing all of this so that we can step up and step out and step in in all new ways. It's such a powerful story. And then begins the traps. So I will say that this one has eight traps. We're going to use the first one in two different ways for our outer initiation and our inner initiation. Because what happens is It happens in different ways for us publicly or privately. So we're going to go over that and then the rest will fall in line to match our structure. And I am so grateful for everyone interested in navigating this cycle consciously. And for those of you who drop in to do it with us along the way in the live circle on the new teaching platform with a private community. I'm so excited. I encourage you to get your reading and custom guide or at least drop in. All right, everyone. Be well. Deep bow of gratitude to each of you for showing up for yourself and for the world. One love.